Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is June 8th, 2020. This is episode 296. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we'll speak out for the 296th time and we won't stick to sports. And then after we're done not sticking to sports, we'll we'll stick to sports, I mean, just, just, just a little bit. Just, just a smidge. And we'll do that after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you drinking this evening? Scott, I want to tell you about my beer journey this week. I discovered a beer from Stone Brewing Company called FML. It says uh, Fear Movie Lo- uh, Lions on the uh, on the front. I thought it was it describing a- your work condition recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might be a little bit. It, th- that is what necessitates a double IPA from Stone, but... This is a great, great beer. I got it as part of a uh, make-your-own six-pack from one of the local restaurants that's delivering, and I was blown away. Stone usually has great beer, but uh, if you if you can get yourself uh, an FML, please uh, run. Do not walk to your to your local liquor store. Very, very good beer. So, Jake, I'm doing a uh, New England IPA. I'm doing a Velvet Fog from Independent Brewing Company. And I'm glad that you you mentioned uh, a quality beer like Stone. I, I think the bigger story that I'm interested to see uh, continue going forward is, um, you know, local restaurants and, and local breweries, in essence, opening their doors and offering beer to be delivered um, to individuals, um, allow it to be for carryout. Um, I, I think this is a great trend that you know Maryland needs to embrace as a permanent addition um, to the arsenal, even after we move out of a COVID uh, situation that we are in at this given time. I mean, is there any negative um, aspect of this that is no reason why we should never you know move away from this you know current you know sanctity that this is beer drinking at this moment? Sure. I mean, I, you know, I, I picked up the, uh, beer caddy in addition to my meal. Um, I think delivery is tough just because, you know, making sure that the folks are of age is complicated, but no, uh, I hope that, you know, the COVID pandemic breaks the back of the puritanical view that the state of Maryland has on alcohol. I'm about to say, if we look at, um, the idiocy, uh, that is occurring just north of our border across the Mason Dixon in Pennsylvania, I think we can all see how idiotic laws that relate to beer and liquor distribution can impact us on a day in and day out basis. Uh, so again, I am all for a little freedom um, out there, um, and the easiest way to do that freedom is again for me to be able to drive through my local beer um, brewery and uh, you know pick up a six pack or twelve pack or you know maybe uh, five or six crawlers that you know happen to send me up seventy or eighty bucks, but uh you know what it's the it's the small things like that that make life uh the living so uh if you want to know what we're drinking on a daily or hourly basis um during this given se- season that is you know not a baseball season uh check us out on untapped i'm at m a g n eight six zero six i'm at jake e four zero two five and with that let's go to two hundred and eighty characters or less with this week on the Twitters. So Jake, uh, our good friends at Utah street report, uh, put out a great question 
um, earlier this week. Um, and, and they asked the question, obviously going to get a very biased sample here, but still cur- curious, your level of missing baseball, and there was three choices, more than expected, about as expected, less than expected, um, and uh, about ex- expected one out, but only at 37%. And 33% of the audience um, came back saying, I'm less than expected in terms of missing out on baseball. Jake, where do you, where do you fall uh, in this given category or in this given audience? Well, um, I'm in the less than expected category, and I, I think that for two reasons. Uh, personally, you know, my my work situation just absolutely exploded uh, a few a few months ago, um, so I'm I'm dealing with a little less free time than I than I usually do. But also, I wasn't quite prepared for the uh, for the current events onslaught of 2020. I, I think if there was nothing else going on. Um, in, in the COVID-19, uh, pandemic, maybe I would be missing baseball a lot more, but I, I feel like my, uh, I, I, I feel like my soul is just fatigued in a way that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the, the free space left over for, for missing baseball. What about you, Scotty? Where do you fall? I, I feel in a similar regard. I feel like with everything that is going on in this world right now, um, I've distracted myself with other means at this given time. I don't necessarily know it's healthy um, in terms of some of the stuff that I've been focused on. Um, But I would say that um, other things have transfixed my attention uh, in terms of what I'm interested in rather than baseball at this given moment. So, um, you know, I, I think even last year was a good step away moment for myself in terms of baseball. Um, but again, we, we talked about this at the very beginning of the season. I was really eager to get back into the game. Um, and, and sure enough, um, you know, the, the fates that be that is baseball in terms of my ever loving fandom for, for it, uh, said, you know what? He seems excited. Let's put him out of his misery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, it, I, it's interesting though, because whether it be, you know, my own first world problems or just everything else that's going on in the world, there is something to be said that you know, if we had a baseball season, there would be a lot more space in my world for self-care, right? Baseball is absolutely one of the things that I that I do that that just fills me up, right? I'm the dork in his mother's basement recording a podcast every week about it. You know, I'm the one that that you know whose whose uh, wardrobe is mostly orange, right? Like obviously having baseball uh, to to fall back upon. Uh, to kind of turn my brain off and and to return to an eight year old state, you know, would be would be good. Would be a good thing. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm in I'm in the less than expected zone, but that does not mean that I I don't miss it because I do. Yeah, I mean, I I miss it. I just would say that there are other things that you know I'm paying more attention to at this moment. And like I said, baseball is not um, a matter that I'm saying I have to see it every single evening. Um, we've talked about white noise uh, in terms of baseball. There's other noise that's going about right now that's capturing my my attention. Sure. All right. What else we got on the Twitters this week? So, um, you know, we we've talked about minor league baseball and we've talked about the pay disparities that have uh, you know constantly occurred. Uh, and I saw this one tweet come out of, about a week and a half ago from Britch Rowley. Um, and, and she says the Nationals cut thirty players and will pay the remaining minor leaguers. $300 per week, um, a 25% cut from $400. Um, and one of the minor leaguers says, 
I wish the owners really weighed how much that $100 they cut us back is saving them versus how much it helps put food on the tables for us and our families. Now, the Nationals players did step up immediately after this came out, um, and they said, hey, we are going to pay that difference because it's not fair for the minor leaguers, and we are going to have to do it. And then the learners came back and were like, well, no, 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 like, we'll go ahead and do it. But it was the fact of the matter that social media and even the Players Association had to, in essence, call out a $5.3 billion worth of family um, to basically be like, what the heck are you guys doing? It's a million dollars worth of like, you know, money. Like, why are you concerned about this? This is a, a team that put out 108 diamond rings. Like, it, it, it's just an absolute joke um, as it is in terms of an ownership group putting out um, such a, you know, a level of disparity between individuals that are making, you know, thirteen to $14,000 on an annual basis and then you've got this $5.3 billion behemoth in terms of learners. So just an absolutely disgusting move um, by the Nationals organization, in my opinion. Glad to see the players step up and force the hand. Um, but at the same point, it, it should never have gotten to that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we talked, you know, we talked at the beginning of the COVID crisis with the Orioles. You know, oh, okay, Major League Baseball has done this. That's great, but is it enough? Okay, the Orioles have done this. That's great. Is it enough? I think it, it behooves all of us, you know, who who buy the things that make them money to continue to, to hold up the pressure to say, hey, that's not enough. Yeah, and I think it also comes back down to, you know, we have heard the narrative uh, for, you know, over 20 plus years at this point um, of, you know, the Angelos family is cheap, uh, specifically Peter Angelos is cheap. Um but again, we can take a look at, you know, the recent administration and they certainly have been putting their money where their mouth is in terms of, you know, standing for um, the players, the personnel uh, and stuff like that. Obviously, there are still things going on within like Masson from a furloughing standpoint. But on a whole, um, the Orioles have been right there at the top of the pack in terms of making sure that the organization as a whole is funded and that the individuals that are, you know, in desperate need of these kind of funds are getting paid. So, you know, I don't know if the I would say the Orioles are, you know, you know, top class, but I would say at least they're making the right efforts and not, um, you know, doing dumb things um, like the Nationals organization is doing. All right. All right. We've been talking a little bit about, you know, current events. I, I want to talk about a tweet that came out. This comes from the Cincinnati Inquirer, the tweets at Inquirer. And the tweet is as follows, my awakening with a link to an op-ed written by uh, Cincinnati Reds first baseman Joey Votto. And it was powerful and I think needed in this moment. I was really impressed uh, by what I read from Joey Votto, a very honest and open and um, an unabashed uh, account of, of his journey. And I, I really want you to read it. It's uh, linked, you know, on our on our uh, show notes, and you, you can find it any, anywhere. But you know, it, it ends basically by saying this: you know, a week after I read Nelson Mandela's biography, um, I dismissed a black friend's plea for support. Only now am I just beginning to hear. I'm awakening to their pain and my own ignorance, and no longer will I be silent. I- incredibly. Uh, self-aware and and taking responsibility move move by uh, joey Votto and i applaud wholeheartedly yeah all right you know obviously if you haven't gotten the drift of it it's going to be 
it's going to be a little bit of a different show tonight. It's going to be a little bit more serious. Um, it's going to be a little bit Baltimore on. So, so buckle up, prepare for, uh, let's get stupid. But we will cover a little bit of baseball um, in this given podcast. I want to come back to this one tweet. Actually, it's two from this week. Um, the Orioles tweeted out, fill in the blank, J blank. Uh, and of course, perfect timing. Ryan Wagner stepped in as the voice of the Orioles at RWAG614 and said, that blank isn't long enough. Trust me on this. Bravo. Bravo, Ryan Bravo. Wagner. Bravo. Oh, it's good to talk about baseball, but it's equally as important to kind of talk about everything that is going around us. And again, we talked about the response that, you know, Major League Baseball can have out there as it relates to the current situation in regards to COVID with minor league baseball players. But it's equally as important for us to be aware of Major League Baseball's response as it relates to the social injustices and the various issues that are plaguing um, the African-American population and the minorities in general within this country um, over the recent past, but also um, on a historical basis, too. So, you know, this tweet came out um, before Major League Baseball had issued any comments and or most of the other Major League Baseball clubs. Um, and I think it was very poignant at the time. And I still think it is. It's from Mark Carrig at Mark Carrig, And it says, every year, Major League Baseball celebrates Jackie Robinson and by extension, its own standing as a social institution. The moment cries out for acknowledgement of systemic racism. Yet Major League Baseball is only one of the four sports to stay silent. This is an abdication of its standing as a social institution. Absolutely, you know, spot on. Again, this is a a league that will go out and parade everybody out there um, in, you know, Jackie Robinson's jersey, number 42. Um, We will talk about the Negro Leagues on occasion. Um, We will go out there and wear camouflage uniforms for Memorial Day. And again, it's this this parade, as it were, almost like it's a little league, um, you know, routine as opposed to thinking along the bigger pictures of what are we actually going to do to address the systemic issues that are present in our society? Not even just mentioning the whole aspect of what are we going to do in order to keep the game of interest to our, you know, African American brethren and our folks that are in urban populations. Major league baseball continues to ignore that and continues to say, you know what? We're good with what we have. And we're hoping that we're going to just rot it out and continue to make $10 billion. Well, except for this year where they're only going to make 3 or $4 billion, and it's a great heartache for them. But still, um, you know, a, a great um, message that's being put out there of, you know, just because um, an organization does one act, one act does not speak towards the journey um, that every organization and all of us need to be taking going forward. Here, here. Well, Scotty, you know, we started by getting on our soapbox about uh, about uh, the drink of the week, and uh, it's just gone downhill from there. Let's take a quick break. Good. I've got like seven soapboxes ready to go. <laughs> We're going to build it up tonight, okay?
Scott, remember, oh, let's say two weeks ago. I don't. We got together. I don't remember what happened two weeks ago. <laughs> well, let me fill you in. If you, like so many others, didn't listen to this podcast, uh, Scotty, we got together two weeks ago and we reminded ourselves how crazy things have been in 2020, even before COVID-19. Oh, yeah, I do recall that now. We, we talked about all the, the just unbelievable stuff that would have been, you know, huge news in themselves if we didn't have this global pandemic. And so, of course... The universe then told us to hold its beer. I, I will admit, admit, you know, on our podcast, we have had this happen, you know, countless times where we will put a podcast out and the universe literally is just like, you know what? I know you guys just talked about this player, Tommy John surgery. You know what? <laughs> I know you guys are super excited that you just be the Tigers. Here are the Royals. Enjoy that. <laughs> it, it literally is just like. What can I do to basically take a giant dump on uh, these individuals and the content that they're putting out on a weekly basis? And sure enough, you know, uh, schadenfreude as it is, uh, you're absolutely right, Jake. The universe literally told us, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Yeah, well, I mean, since the murder of George Floyd, putting together a podcast about baseball seems trivial. I mean, at best. And putting together a podcast about baseball that's not happening seems even worse, whatever less than trivial is. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier, Scott, there has never been a greater need for the Baltimore Ons podcast. Fire up the bat signal. We need Sam and Allen and we need them now. Uh, you know, we are not going to ascend to that level. Um, but I'll tell you what, you know, as a white guy from the suburbs, I've been trying really hard to ensure that when I do open my mouth, it's actually to say something of meaning and to do something rather than simply to virtue signal. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't want to sound preachy here. That's not my intent. However, doing nothing is not an option. Right. And so if you're not one who likes, uh, you know, politics or social commentary mixed in with your dumb sports podcast, I have some bad news for you. It's time to be uncomfortable. Yep. You can just, like I said, you can either listen uh, and be <laughs> part of the solution, or you know what? It, it's a good time to be like, you know what? I don't want to be part of it. Uh, I'm going to stop this podcast, and I'm just going to unfollow. It, it's time. You know, and, and I'm sure you're the same way, because we just sat on your porch drinking and talking about this the other night. Uh, but I've been spending a lot of time reading and listening uh, to to make sure that, you know, the the first thing that I'm doing is uh, growing, right? Uh, because I, I find that so many people want to just uh, you know provide a solution. Like here's 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 what I think, um, and I think that you know people like me just need to shut up for a minute and do some listening. Um, and on the other hand, Scotty. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, well, I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'm just going to hang back and listen. Um, and somewhere in between is the right is the right path. And I'll tell you, it's uncomfortable and it will be uncomfortable to be active and to find the, the right balance, if there exists, of being part of the solution rather than not, you know, simply not being part of the, uh, the problem. And doing it in a way that requires that you be vulnerable and doing it in a way that um, that is open to growth, 
right? Oh, I, I screwed up. I, I did something that was insensitive. I said something that, though my heart was in the right place, wasn't as productive as I wanted to. But I'll, I'll pick that up and I'll, I'll learn from it. There are so many people uh, on social media that are providing resources. You know, read this book, watch this documentary, you know, watch this talk. Here's a recorded conversation. Please, you know, view it. Uh, and there are so many people, you know, posting, hey, here are some things that you can do. Spend some time, right, deciding what it is that you're going to be about and how you're going to make an impact and then do that, right? Because it's the end doing that that is crucially important. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right in this aspect of, you know, I mentioned earlier on the show, this is a journey that um, all of us need to, in essence, start. Um, and as all journeys, um, there is going to be failure along the way. Um, you know, we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to have uncomfortable conversations, as you mentioned, Jake. We're going to have failures. It's going to be kind of like developing an Orioles pitcher in the minor leagues. There's going to be a lot of failures, and maybe we'll move the needle partially, but we're probably not going to get there in its entirety. Um, you know, as much as we are wanting to, in essence, change the world, the likelihood that we are going to knock out all racial injustice um, through one action or event is is highly unlikely based off of, you know, world history and you know the greater culture that we are living in as from a humanity standpoint but that shouldn't deter us from taking actions and basically trying to make the world um you know slightly different in any better model um not just for us not just for our kids but for the greater community that we are part of um and again i think it's that empathy um that you mentioned jake of you know taking that action starting the conversation, and again, not just saying, hey, I'm a white man um, that knows what I'm talking about and I've got a good education. It's time to, like you said, shut up and just listen to certain people and let people be angry at the same time. It's okay for them to be angry and to yell and say, we are tired and sick of it. And it is okay for you, for us as you know, even adults to say, what can I do to help? What can I do at this moment to, you know, ease you? And sometimes it's just being a listener at this given time for them so that they can rant and, and say what they are feeling. Um, and, and you know, we will come back at a future state and take additional action items on top of that. And again, you know, looking back at this whole, you know, context as it relates to, um, you know, the political protests that are going on at this given time. You know, I, I think when we look back at Baltimore that went through the whole, you know, Freddie Gray situation in 2015, it echoes so closely and hits so close to home. Um, you know, it, it's kind of a, a similar deja vu um, aspect. And, and I think back to moments um, of when that was going on. I, I think back down to, you know, things that people were going to do. I think back to Steve Hardiman, who was a listener of our show, who said, hey, guys, I know I'm in Australia, and I know I really can't do much, but I'm going to send you guys money, and I want you to go, and I want you to buy a round of shots for everybody at the bar in order to support a local establishment. That's the best that I can do right now to support people getting back up on their feet, and, and that's going to be my contribution. Did he solve all the issues with Baltimore City? Obviously not, based off of what we're seeing you know, currently as of this moment. Um, but again, it's one small step that one person took 
that can play a trickle-down role in terms of making us all think, what's something else that I can need to do? One person does not need to take a giant step to the right. We all just need to take a small step to the right. And over time, that is going to make immense differences as we go about this. Before we, before we slightly shift topics, um, I want to say that uh, you know our, our DMs are open here at Bird's Eye View. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. If you are dissatisfied with what we had to say, I want to hear it. Um, if you have content or, or resources for us, we'd really like to hear from you. We'd like to be involved in the conversation. Please don't be shy. Scotty, this is a, a Orioles podcast. It's supposed to be about baseball, and we're not the Baltimoreans. We would never do as good a job. Is it okay if I ask a couple of baseball-related questions? Uh, I'll allow it this time, yes. All right. Um, the you, you responded to the Orioles uh, tweeting out their statement against, as they referred to it, racial bias and violent abuse. Um, let's talk about it. How did the Orioles respond? How did they meet this moment? And was it sufficient? So um, I, I will say this. You know, the Orioles came back, uh, and I'll read this out. It's nearly six decades ago at another low point in our country's ongoing struggle to understand and rectify the racial injustice our fellow Americans have endured since the inception of our nation. The author James Baldwin warned, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Today, as our friends and neighbors experienced the same mistreatment of generations ago in the form of ingrained, unyielding, and institutionally discriminatory systems that deny justice and equality and provide in their place a steady supply of brutalizing misconduct compounded in some cases by voices that fan the flames of violence and racism, it is imperative that we face the past and present. Dr. King said, shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. The entire Orioles family expresses solidarity with the families of all who had their lives destroyed and communities disrupted by the forces of racial bias and violent abuse. With enduring understanding, empathy, and peaceful resolve, we are committed to advocate for the changes our country needs today and to root our racism, prejudice of any kind, as we strive to make America a better America in the future. Black Lives Matter. All right. So overall, I think this is a, a, a very well done message. Um, there are a few points of critique. Um, I appreciate that they recognize that there is an issue, but I, I still feel like um, I have a few issues with this. Number one, there is no future follow-up action. It's just saying we are committed to being an advocate, but there is no aspects of, you know, here are the actions that we have been taking and here are the actions that we will be taking going forward as it relates to it. And again, for communities so impacted by this in 2015, you would have thought Baltimore and the Orioles would have been all over this. And again, as much as I love a good quote, um, I, I felt like this was an aspect of um, kitchen sink gobbledygook almost, where it's just like, we don't know exactly what to say, so we're going to rely back on you know famous quotes um, to kind of fill in the gaps, as it were. Had a little bit of chicken soup for the soul feel to it. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying it was terrible, and I'm not saying it was bad. Well, what I'm saying is it could have been so much better and so much stronger, especially for an organization that had to live through this before, um, and specifically being in a city that had gone through this before. So, like I said, I, I'm not 
going to critique it heavily. I just was hoping um, when the Orioles put out something that it would have been a little bit stronger. Um, so I, I give it a solid B minus to a B. Um, again, I'm not mad at it. I, I just would have liked to see more. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think I would love for the sake of the podcast to be able to argue with you, but I, I think I'm in, in wholehearted agreement. Um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, when, when Freddie Gray happened, I was, I was impressed by what we heard from John Angelos. Right. Um, and I thought to myself, wow, that is a, that's a brave statement from a business owner. Right. Um, and so maybe, maybe that experience led to my expectation a little bit. And, uh, and this, I, I think fell short of that response. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, there are a few things that, you know, I, I saw come off of this, you know, it, it, like I said, we talked about the major league baseball response earlier in this week on the Twitters and how it kind of waited and waited and waited. Um, but again, I also saw things like Adley Rutschman posting out there saying, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war. The bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood cannot become a reality. I believe that unnamed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. And of course, another MLK quote. But again, it's, it's, it's okay because I think it's this aspect of people are looking to express it in, in a manner that you know, seems like it's coming off you know, well. But I do think that people need to find their own words to express it. And like I said, I think it's okay um, to refer back to folks like MLK and stuff like that. But I also think it's important to, in essence, state what you are going to do as well going forward. But I did like seeing various players, and again, not just Ali Rutschman from the Orioles organization, come out and, and indicate what they were going to do and how they are going to uh, improve going forward in, in terms of um, you know this forward-thinking approach in terms of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, it was also refreshing to see Black Lives Matter without without a caveat, you know, without a, without a qualifier, just statement, black lives matter, period. Yeah. All right. I want to get to, you know, okay. We, we think it's a, you know, it's a B minus. What else could they have done? Uh, I'm going to actually circle back to that in a second. And I want to talk about the, you know, the uh, major league baseball as a whole. Uh, you know, the NFL has, has just come out far too late <laughs> and admitted that they were wrong <laughs> in their treatment uh, the Kaepernick situation, right? Um, and I, I think if you look at Major League Baseball and the number of black athletes that they have, it's pretty clear that Major League Baseball has a problem, right? Maybe not, uh, maybe not an aggressive, hateful problem, but it, it's got a problem, right, uh, of representation, and and there's a breakdown somewhere in the in the, uh, you know, uh, pipe that gets black athletes into major league baseball. Um, and whether it's, it's a problem of attracting black athletes, whether it's a, a problem with investing in black athletes, you know, there, there is a, there is a problem. Do you think that major league baseball will get to the point of admitting that problem, uh, and trying to do something about that through the, the lens of this moment in history? Um, I, I, you know, my ideal scenario, my answer would be yes. In the recent events of how I'm seeing, you know, this season unfold, my answer is probably no. 
Um, I think that Major League Baseball is going to, you know, they put out a statement. Um, but again, it was a statement without any action behind it. Um, and I, I have to see what action they're going to take to significantly alter not just the aspect of looking for black athletes to get them into the game of baseball, but what kind of actions are they going to take as it relates to the black community, but also urban organizations. So again, looking at Hispanic, uh, you know, families that are living in Baltimore city, you know, as much as we want to focus on the African American community, there's a huge population of the, uh, the Hispanic community too, that we need to be pop- focusing on as well as it relates to racial discrimination as well. But uh, again, I don't, think major league baseball is going to step up and put out a national campaign um that they're going to oversee and, and see it through hmm. it, it would be interesting to see you know what kinds of things baseball you know could do um and, and you know the easy thing is to say well you know they just uh hired billy bean to be the uh you know, the inclusion officer for Major League Baseball for LGBT and, and you know, maybe they need to have something uh, like that for, you know, black athletes and, and people of color in, in general. But, you know, I, I think that that is a, a really easy uh, public, uh, you know, PR move to make. I, I'd really be interested to see, like, what policies as an organization they have, you know, to commit to anti-racist uh, policies, you know, from a, from an HR standpoint, you know, of each club, uh, and major league baseball itself, you know, there are a number of things that businesses can do to ensure that they are, uh, again, part of the problem and not simply not, you know, are part of the solution rather than, than, uh, just not being part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, we, we think back to, you know, um, the matter in Boston several years ago with Adam Jones, you know, having, you know, racial slurs hur- hurled at him. And it even came back at that point of people questioning whether or not that actually had happened. And this mm-hmm. kind of like, well, that probably didn't happen. Like if that would have happened, people would have caught on to that. That should be an immediate situation within a baseball game where everybody literally just starts finger pointing, just like someone throws a punch and immediately that person is ejected from the stadium and that person has said, uh, we are issuing you a ban to the stadium and we will be reporting your name to Major League Baseball and you will no longer be allowed to attend um, any MLB event going forward for the rest of your life. In essence, we will no longer support that attitude uh, in terms of what is in essence, you know, hate speech um, towards another one of our players. Um, and in essence, you know, I think people said the right thing for a brief amount of time. But there was no resolution to that matter. Um, and again, I think that, you know, Major League Baseball teams, ownership, um, and fans need to basically, you know, when they see that and when they hear that, they need to take an aggressive stance and say that is not acceptable. Um, and they need to call people out on that. Um, and I think that's been an interesting scenario that we have come across over these past few years. You know, just thinking about it from a 2016 standpoint, there was a lot of silence while, you know, racial bigotry and hatred started to sweep up. Um, And we have certainly seen that over the last few years, um, you know, continue to build and build and build. Um, And I think we're getting to the point now of we have to say something. And if you don't say something, then you're complicit in the given situation. Yeah. I, you know, 
from a baseball standpoint, I have no problem with the Orioles not bringing back Adam Jones. But boy, Birdland is sorely missing his voice in this moment. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, it, it would have been nice to hear from him and to kind of get a little bit of a little guidance and, um, you know, just a really Adam was not one to mince words. It's, let's just say that much. Yeah, in a in a moment when direct speech is needed. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, what what then get, let me circle back. What then, you know, can the Orioles do to take themselves from a, a B minus reaction? What what do we even expect from our, you know, civic institutions uh like the Orioles? So, I mean, I think if we look back to, we just mentioned Adam Jones. Adam Jones did a ton of uh, philanthropic uh, and charity work, specifically in the inner city, specifically working with African-American population um, and, and putting out hard work as it relates to time and effort. And I think the Orioles and Major League Baseball need to continue that. And again, the Orioles are a, a, do a great job as it relates to charitable contributions. Um and I think, you know, that needs to continue, but I think there just needs to be a greater emphasis again of, you know, working with the city, working with local charities that are supporting, you know, you know, underprivileged and, and, you know, in, impoverished areas that relate to minorities, both African American, but also Hispanic as well, um, within the city to basically make sure that they are getting what they need, um, in terms of it. And again, I think it's important to go back to leadership within each of those communities and ask them what they need. It may be as simple as, hey, we need a, a grocery store that actually has fresh fruits and vegetables. It may need to say, hey, we need an after-school program so that these kids actually have a place to go um, and they don't have to go home um, and just basically be at home by themselves or be on the streets. Or, hey, we just need um, you know a few extra you know paraeducators in our schools um, to kind of help out in terms of going to make copies um, so that our teachers can focus on the lesson plans that they need to put out there to, you know, socially engage with them. Uh, again, we don't know the answers. We are, again, white privileged males living in the suburbs. But that conversation needs to start um, with the people that have the the power, the privilege, um, and the ability to do so. And there's no better option there that comes to major league baseball the baltimore orioles and the other civic organizations that we are part of uh, to basically talk to leadership and say what can we do what kind of time can we put in to basically change the narrative what kind of funds can we put in there um you know what is an effort that we can do to basically you know take the next generation and move it slightly in the right direction again we're not going to fix this um, in a few years, we're probably not going to fix it in the next 10 to 20 years, but what can we do to start moving it and saying, this is the right way that we need to be shaping our communities going forward so that they don't fall apart and, or we don't continue down the spiral that we are at this time. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like the, uh, and I'd like the fans response to be, you know, Hey Orioles in a, in a non confrontational way. Hey Orioles, what are you doing? Right. The, the expectation is that as an institutional, uh, as a civic institution, that you'd be doing something. So what is it? Right. And I think um, that's important, too, because, again, um, when we look at charity cases, I think the biggest aspect from a charity standpoint, and you and I have talked about this, too, is 
it's finding the right charity. Um, and I think the Ravens organization has actually done a really good job with this in the past as well, maybe better than the Orioles in terms of working with various communities. But again, putting those charities out there and say, here is who we are sponsoring. This is why we are sponsoring this. These are the people we're working with, and here is what we're trying to do. I guarantee you, if you do that legwork for people, people will say, that's something I could attach myself to as well and be part of the process. You know, we talk about this aspect of, you know, what can the Orioles do to be part of the community, but at the same time bring fans back in? You know, I think back to the Orioles promotions that they've done with like the Red Cross, for example, where you used to be able to go in, donate a pint of blood, you get two free tickets. Why don't we do the same thing? Why don't we just say, hey, if you are willing to contribute to a charity um, with it, that has been chosen by the Baltimore Orioles in the city of Baltimore, we're going to offer you two pairs of free tickets to Upper Reserve to come out and see the Orioles as a thank you for supporting our community around us. Come come be part of the community and come support the community through a charitable donation going forward in the future. Yes, that money may not be going into our pocket, but it's going into a, a rooting interest and a, a mutual interest that we all have in terms of making this community and our city a better place. Well, you know, they they say that the beauty of baseball is the stories and they've got three plus hours to tell good stories. So I, I hope, I hope that we'll hear that. Yeah. All right, Scotty, why don't we take a break, come back, but I still have soapboxes. Do, do you still have soapboxes? I do, but I'll put them away just for the time being so we can talk a little baseball. Let's do some baseball things. All right, Jake, so the MLB draft is coming up this week, um, and MLB is trying to make the draft more like an event, similar to like the NFL draft. Um, they're going to be broadcasting on a multiple networks. I believe it's going to be on ESPN and MLB Network this time. So last year, the Orioles obviously selected Adley Rutschman, consensus pick. Um, obviously, everyone knew they were going to pick it. It looks like Spencer Torkelson is going to be uh, the number one pick this year by the Detroit Tigers. Um, the O's are rumored potentially to take Austin Martin, but there's a lot of other conversations, a few other names out there. You know, Michael, I said that there's, you know, five names that are being bantered about. Um, so, so who knows who they end up with, but, you know, let, let's talk about this a little bit and, and, and think about this. You know, we've, you know, when the Orioles were bad, you know, the draft was something that we always looked forward to. We're back in that situation again, where again, the Orioles have three of the top 39 picks. So Jake, uh, going into the draft last year, we were really interested to see what is the strategy that Michael Elias is going to employ. Uh, and in essence, he went out there and got a bunch of really great players um, <laughs> and just was just like, holy cow, like this is exactly what a GM is supposed to do. Like what happened? Um, so I, I, I look at this and a part of me in the past would have been worried. I, I remember watching drafts even the it, during the Duquette regime and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why did you just draft DJ Martin? Like, that is not the person you should be <laughs> drafting at this slot. Um, I, I think we talked, I think we were on the air at the given time. Um, I think it was going on on Monday night and we were watching the draft and I think the Blue Jays were right ahead of the Orioles and I said, if the Blue Jays take Vlad Guerrero Jr. here and the Orioles don't draft someone good, I'm going to flip out. 
And the Blue Jays drafted Vlad Guerrero, and you're just like, gosh darn it. Like, that's who I really wanted. And you're just like, well, who knows? Like, the draft is a crapshoot as it is. And I'm like, yeah, but Guerrero Jr. is really good. And then they pick DJ Martin. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is absolute garbage what you're doing here. Um, And again, I couldn't be farther from that in terms of the last thing. So I'm in essence going to let the experts, um, you know, do what they're going to do. You know, if they feel like Austin Martin is the guy, great. If they feel like somebody else is the guy, that's fine too. I have complete faith that the Orioles are going to um, put their best effort out there because they have smart people in that organization in that front office right now. Um, You know, what are your expectations kind of going into the draft this week? Well, I I think it... I, I somewhat echo what you had to say just there about, you know, let the smart people do their smart people things. Uh, any idiot could have picked Adley Rutschman last year, right? Yes. He was the he was the number one pick, the consensus pick. There was no question. For me, the strength of last year's draft was getting Gunnar Henderson. Yes. Right? And and the rest of the high draft picks that we had, for me. You know, they can go a number of ways with the, the number two overall pick, but then they've got five rounds to work with. What are they going to do to bring in top level talent, knowing that they've got, you know, what is it, four, four, three picks in the top 39 uh, picks? So they, they really have a lot of firepower to go with. Uh, you know, one of the things that's being bandied about by the experts is that this draft is. Um, much more weighted toward arms, whereas they were lacking in, in last year's draft. So, you know, if they go with somebody like Martin in the first round, you know, are they confident that they can get good arms in, in rounds, you know, two through five, or, you know, do they go with a, a, uh, underslot, uh, you know, top arm this time around, knowing that there are also bats to be had later, whichever way they go with it. I, again, I, I, like you trust the Elias uh, regime much more than, than previous, but I'll be interested to see what the entire five round approach is because it is so much more than just that first pick. No, I, I, I agree with you about that. I we're entering into an interesting uh, time. I would say of, you know, we, we talked about uh, the rebuild and obviously 2019, obviously rebuild 2020, obviously would have been a rebuild. Um, and we were talking about, you know, well, maybe the Orioles are going to be competitive again, maybe by 2023. And we're entering into an interesting draft as because um, we knew Adley Rutschman was going to be part of that, you know, rebuild and then part of the, the resurgence. But I think now we're looking at, you know, whoever is drafted in this portion is going to be the the youngest guy that is going to come up and potentially be part of it. So. If the Orioles don't go out there and draft uh, an exciting arm, then in essence, what you're saying is we have the folks that we want right now in the organization uh, that are starting pitchers uh, that are going to lead us back to the playoffs. Yeah, either that or we have enough of the complementary arms that we'll need that when it's time, we'll go out and spend. They're not going to spend on arms. I mean, they might go out and spend on position players, but they're not going to spend on arms. I mean, look how much money is being bantered around. I mean, and also come back and, and take a look at like, we haven't done a great job in terms of going out and, and getting arms. Um, so I, I think it, it does come back to like, if they don't do it, then they obviously think they have the right 
you know, plethora of players that they're going to develop into um, a number one, a number two, and then, you know, some, you know, three, four, fives. Um, and, and again, looking at, you know, the prospect list that the Orioles have, they might have it. Um, but I'm also concerned, just like you are, where if they do go with an Austin Martin, who I actually really like Austin Martin. Like, um, I, I, I know people like Torkelson, but I, I actually think I like Austin Martin more than Torkelson. But that's just, again, that's just me. Um, but again, I would understand completely if they came back and said, as much as Austin Martin is a great hitter and a great kind of toolsy player, we need another arm and we'll go out and figure out how to get a position player in order to kind of make up the gaps that are present on our roster. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I hope you're right. I guess maybe I'm, I'm a little too jaded from the, the dark cages. Oh, trust me. I, I am super concerned. And like I said, pitching is scary as all heck to me because we haven't seen uh, a development from a pitcher um, since Messina. I mean, even coming back and looking at, you know, Bundy and Gossman, who you thought were going to be, um, you know, not misses. Um, and they turn out to be and even Hunter Harvey, for example, of being drafted and now ending up as a closer. Until we see it, it's still this scary boogeyman in the back of our heads of like, when are we going to have a number one starting pitcher again? Like, when is it going to happen? Um, and I don't know. It, it, like I said, it's it's very very nerve wracking. <laughs> what what are you talking about? Are you forgetting Brian Mattis? Uh, yes, I am forgetting Brian Mattis. Are you forgetting Hayden Penn? Uh, yes, I am. Are you forgetting Garrett Olson? Uh, yes, I am as well. And when you say that we won't go out and spend money on the pitching, are you forgetting Abaldo Jimenez? Uh, absolutely, no question about it. Well, Scott, you 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 can't forget these things. This is going to be the way we get back to the winning. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like I said, is D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez your starting pitchers of the future? Are they going to be your number one and number two? Um, and I think that's my big question is if D.L. Hall comes up at the end of next year in 2021, Grayson Rodriguez starts with the team in 2022. Are, is that going to give you enough time to say, yep, we have something ready to go for 2023? Or, in essence, are you saying, hey, we need a starting pitcher? I think they're going to go Austin Martin. I think they think they have enough in um, you know, the prospect ranks to basically fill it up. I mean, in terms of your starting pitchers, you've got Dio Hall. You've got Grayson Rodriguez. You've got Keegan Aiken. You've got Zach Lothar. Um, you've got Dean Kramer. I, I think they have enough to, in essence, put out there um, a good starting rotation. It's the question of... Can D.L. Hall or Grayson Rodriguez turn into a number one pitcher, which we haven't had even during the Showalter era? We never had a number one pitcher. Um, and we even saw stories come out with Adam Jones saying in 2014, they literally went to ownership and said, we need a number one starter. Like, if you give us a number one starter, we will win the World Series. And ownership was unable to do so. <laughs> So what you're telling me is that your hope is that Hall and Rodriguez can be the Joe Saunders and Steve Johnson of you, of our next uh, of our next run. You shut your mouth. You <laughs> shut your mouth right there and don't open it again. You know what? Just for saying that, go get the Mars ad. You're reading it for the rest of the episode, okay? <laughs> I, and, like okay. I, and like I said, who knows what's going to happen, but I think this is going to be the most interesting standpoint for me of 
who they select um, and what does that curtail for the future in terms of playoff baseball for, for the Baltimore Orioles and what does the nucleus or the franchise look like when the Orioles could start to be competitive again? All right, so let's talk about uh, the 2020 season, should it ever happen. Two weeks ago, we talked about Major League Baseball's proposal. Since then, there has been a proposal by the Players Association and a counteroffer by uh, Major League Baseball. The Players Association sent a proposal which included a 114-game season with prorated salaries, uh, players having the option to to having the right rather to opt out, some getting pay and others just getting service time, uh, a, a system of two-year extended playoffs and a request of a hundred million dollars in advance payments uh, for players in this you know next exhibition series that would have to happen before the 114 game season. Um, you know didn't didn't go over well with the uh, with baseball. Apparently they they do agree on a universal DH and extended playoffs, uh, expanded playoffs, as well as it sounds like the two sides are, are closer together on health and testing protocols. Uh, but baseball came back with a, a counter offer of 76 game season with players receiving 75% of the prorated salaries they were promised in in March. Uh, but did go along with the expanded playoffs, uh, taking the expanded playoffs uh, system to a 16-team event with eight versus one seeding that would start with a three-game series and the the revenues for for that playoffs being shared at least in part by the uh, with the players. <laughs> Here's something interesting I read: the expanding playoffs could increase the projected revenue of of the playoffs from 777 million to a, a cool billion dollars. Jeez. Jeez. That's, that's projected revenue. It's unbelievable. I mean, it makes sense in terms of like, if you got into a tournament format like that, which it, it really would be like an eight versus one seating um, and potentially three game series, like wackiness could occur very quickly. Um, and it would be really interesting. Like we've talked about world baseball classic. I think it could be very similar to that kind of, um, that that oddity as it is um so certainly i would be tuning into that um no doubt about it but man i look at this look at the i look at both offers i look at major league baseball players association uh and i look at the 114 game season that was proposed of basically going through i think it was almost like through almost november uh i was like well that's not possible like that's just not going to happen you know you know from a weather standpoint alone it just doesn't make sense um, I, I like the aspect of the opt out. Um, I like the two year extended playoff agreement. I like the advances, um, accordingly. You know, I just knew that it, there had to be a counter offer to this because I knew it wasn't going to get accepted. But man, the owner's counter offer to it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I agree that it's going to have to be somewhere in this ballpark of a 70 80 game season, but then come back and saying, well, that's great, but you're only going to receive 75% of your prorated salary out of the 76-game season. I'm like, so wait, I'm, they're just going to play you know, 15-plus games for free? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, th- there has to be a, a healthy medium here. I mean, it just it, it doesn't make sense. It, I understand that, you know, by the books that Major League Baseball is pointing out, they're like, well, we're not really going to make that much money. But the fact of the matter is, they're still going to make a good amount of money. Like it's, 
I mean, this is a an organization that literally looked at the Massendale. It's just like, yeah, you guys can get by with a five percent gross profit. Like, guys, you can get by for one season with not a great gross profit percentage. It doesn't have to be outlandish every single season. Well, I also think that we're in a scenario where a lot of businesses are looking at the prospect of losing money hand over fist. And so the the barometer of success for this year is how little money can we lose, right? right? Businesses that turn a little bit of a loss have got to be thanking their lucky stars that it is a little bit of a loss, right? I don't own a a business, but Major League Baseball is not going to be a $10 billion industry this year. It's just... So nah. It's impossible. It's the aspect of yeah. you're going to have to come to a realistic expectation that, hey, we are not going to do as well as we did. Um, you know, we are not going to, you know, get a ton of money um, that, you know, we continue to saw increase after increase. And in essence, the owners are going to have to, you know, take it on the chin for a little bit. But again, they're taking it on the chin as it relates to um, a single season uh, of revenue and again they are still going to make a profit i mean it's not like they're not making money they're still going to make money but the reality is um you know they're not making their money um specifically out of revenue on a season by season basis they're making their money on the basis of franchise value why would you tank and basically kill a season and shoot yourself in the foot as it relates to franchise value you got franchises that are selling for billions of dollars, and you're literally saying, I want to risk my billion-dollar valued franchise to basically squabble over, you know, we'll call it 10 to $15 million. It makes no sense. Um, and, and I completely understand why the Players Association will more than likely come back and be like, that's stupid. Like, you're getting closer, but it's dumb. Um, so I think that we are at the point where we are really close, though. Um, and I do think that there is going to be an agreement. But the f- fact is, people that are complaining about, well, why don't the players and the owners just come together and think about the fans? This isn't on the players. The players are doing what's best for them in terms of making sure that their contracts are lived up to. They're looking out for the health of themselves and their families. And in essence, they are taking the entire risk onto themselves, where the owners are literally just saying, we are providing you an avenue, and we will reap all the rewards. It is classic Lord versus Surf behavior. Um, and, and again, it is absolutely frustrating to me that people are like, well, it's on both parties. No, it is not on both parties. There's one party here to blame, and that is Major League Baseball ownership and Major League Baseball's commissioner in terms of their reluctance to basically be productive and basically figuring out a good way to work about it and think about the long-term strategy as opposed to short-term strategy as it relates to revenue uh, and a monetary basis. So you think we'll see baseball this season? There's no doubt in my mind we're going to see baseball. I mean, we are so close um, to the point that we're going to have baseball that um, it's going to come into agreement. I would imagine that by Wednesday or Thursday, I bet you we'll have a an agreement in place. I'm not sure it will be signed, but we will have an agreement in place of saying this is what it's going to look like at that given time. Um, so yes, I am I'm I'm a hundred percent 
sure that this is going to come up and we're we're going to have an agreement to play baseball. I think the agreement is going to be that this is when 2020 comes in, by the way, and says, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to play games on the moon. All right. With beach balls. And it'll be live on television. It'll be fantastic. I I think the bigger, you know, lurking, you know, boogeyman in the back, though, is the lack of forthright communication that is going on between both parties right now in terms of the financial situation, um, not at this given moment, but just in general in terms of um, the books that Major League Baseball are obviously cooking, is ultimately winding up in the future for an eventual lockdown. Um, yeah, the, the CBA is is ticking. That that is correct. So I, I ultimately look at this and I say there is no question in my mind that baseball is going to be played. However, I do look at this and say when the CBA comes up, based off these negotiations that are going back and forth, it's going to be bad. And there's no question in my mind that we're probably going to lose a season um, when that CBA occurs, um, and it's going to be devastating to me. Of it's going to happen right at that point that the Orioles are starting to peak. Um, as it relates to the prospects being ready, and I'm going to be absolutely shell shocked if the you know season is canceled right when you know Ali Rutschman's ready to play, right when DL Hall, Grayson Regas are ready to go, because it'll be like you know similar to back in the '90s when the Orioles were you know doing great in 1994, and the season ends, and the possibility of them getting to the playoffs, um, you know, it just evaporates, um, and it's going to be. It's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. So, Scott, when that happens, yeah, rate your level of missing baseball. Will you miss baseball more than expected, about as expected, or less than expected? Um, I have to see how I feel about the given nucleus at that given time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bet you I'll probably miss baseball more at that point because um, of the uncertainty of when it will come back. All right. That's what I'm guaranteeing, though. It's 100%. There'll be... There'll be an agreement in place this week. You heard it here, folks. So whatever happens, blame it's me. Gonna happen. Blame Scott Magnus. Says, yep. Send send all hate mail to uh, birdseyeviewbl at gmail dot com. Uh, we will will take it in a heartbeat, and I'll respond back and say, "My bad. Uh, I didn't know what I was saying." All right, Scotty. It's time. We should we should probably blow the safe. So, Jake, um, you know, we talked about what are the actions that Major League Baseball and the various organizations that are going forward, what are they going to take in terms of making a difference in terms of the world that we're we're doing? And and again, we we talked about, you know, us being, you know, white males of privilege. Um, And again, this is something that you and I have been struggling with in terms of what are the actions that we are going to take? in terms of making a difference. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of folks um, that I'm friends with, a lot of coworkers as well and colleagues um, that, again, share a background of being an African-American, being from a biracial family, and just talking to them and just listening to them this time. And again, 
I, I wouldn't even say they're angry. They're they're happy that people are listening to them. But again, they want that next action, that that step to take. And so again, as you mentioned, they're making recommendations in terms of what to listen to, what to read up on, everything like that. But again, I come back to that aspect of what can I do? I, I know I want to be educated. Like you don't have to convince me of that, but what can I do? And I, w- I was talking to a coworker today, um, and it really struck me. And it was like it was one of those obvious aspects. And I mentioned it earlier in the show. You know, we talk about you know what are we going to do to get better? Um, you know, in this given situation, as it relates to Black Lives Matter, um, racial injustice, but just about bettering our community. Um, and I think the major divide is right now showing empathy and understanding to others and then immediately judging. I feel like those are the two divides now that are present within our country. It's not Republican and Democrat. It's uh, I'm right or tell me how you're feeling. Um, and, and the one group basically will come back and say, um, well, you're acting like a snowflake. Um, you know, you, you don't need to act that way. But I think it's really important that those of us that feel that empathy um, and want to listen out and improve our community to do so. And again, it's not just about listening. It's not just about being there. But again, it's about taking action. So, you know, this individual told me, like, well, what are you going to do going forward in regards to, you know, charitable contributions? Like, when is the last time you actually volunteered in the city or anything like that? And I and I got to thinking about this. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before to you and your your significant other of, like, you know, as a kid growing up, my dad used to take me all over both the county uh, and the Southeast District, but also into the city and, and help out. I mean, I would go in and line fields for free. Um, I would go out and help, you know, run, you know, clinics, um, you, you know, never getting paid. I'm, I mean, my dad was basically doing it. But again, it was more the aspect is like, this is part of the aspect of giving back to your community and I think back to that point of, you know, the actions that I was taking at that given time. And I was probably in the age of, you know, eight to 14 at the given time. And I'm thinking to myself now, like, I've got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old. And what have I done with them to really make them aware of the contribution that they need to make to society as well? So again, it's not just about me in terms of the actions that I am taking going forward, but again, it's that next step um, in terms of getting future generations ready. So one of the actions that I'm going to take is I'm going to go out there and step outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to go out there into the community, both within Baltimore County and Baltimore City, into some impoverished areas. And I'm also going to bring my kids with me. I'm going to put them out there with myself, and I'm going to get them to realize that the world is not just Bel Air. The world is not just Harford County in terms of the suburbia that we live in. There is a greater world that we're living in, and there is a greater family dynamic that is happening that doesn't just model that of our kind of white privilege that we are happening. And we need to be empathetic and understanding of that and offer them assistance wherever we can in terms of either you know putting together a helping hand in terms of just helping them out um, to lead their given lives. And again, it could just be as simple as, you know, going in, lining a baseball field. Um, and again, I think that's the action that I have to take on is making sure that I'm part of that community and also making sure that my kids are part of the community so that they can continue to push that message forward for generations to come. All right. And that, that is our show. 
Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. So Bird's Eye, View, Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to review and rate this show, especially if you hate it, this episode. Please rate it just as a one. Um, we appreciate the feedback regardless. We will be in contact with your employer to inform them of all your decisions that you're making. But it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at com. You can find us on social media on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat. But the best place to get a hold of us is on Twitter where we tweet at Birds Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fun adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.